Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Suttles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. One of the continuously asked questions in this whole community broadband space is how do we afford uh, broadband network build-out? And um, it's, uh, it's safe to say that this will, will be with us for a while as we continually find communities uh, working very hard to uncover uh, new and additional sources of revenue to be able to undertake what is a fairly significant um, uh, capital investment, and I would say also an ongoing investment if you really consider the fact that um, once you build these networks, you are going to always have to work on maintaining. Occasionally, you're going to have to upgrade them. And uh, as demand increases, you'll have to expand that infrastructure. So I was very happy when I uh, saw an item come across the, the digital transom uh, last week that there is now a new source for uh, grant money to help build these networks. One Community, which is a, a nonprofit that is responsible for a 2,000-mile network infrastructure that's been built in 11 counties in northeastern Ohio, um, is now offering a $2 million grant to help communities uh, get fiber built, the last mile fiber, the part that connects with the middle mile infrastructure that uh, one community has, has built out. So today I'm very happy to have um, two guests from one community. Uh, Brett is here. Brett is the COO of one community. And Liz, who is the economic development coordinator for, for one community, uh, welcome both of you to our show today, and thank you for taking time to be with us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having okay. us. Sure. And so let's start with your respective uh, – well, actually, we should probably start with an overview of one community for those folks who aren't familiar uh, with your organization, and then talk a little bit about what each of you uh, it does within the organization. Sure. So One Community will be celebrating its 10th year as an active organization in September, and we have been adamantly working on trying to get fiber spread throughout 24 counties. You gave us a little bit of credit with 2,000 miles in 11 counties. We're actually up now to 2,500 miles and 24 counties that we're operating in today, and we're providing fiber-based services to community anchor institutions, healthcare, government, education as well as working with wholesale partners such as the wireless carriers and enterprise customers. Um, over the last three years, we've invested roughly $80 million in building out our infrastructure. And so that today is running at 10 gigabit speeds uh, across that 2,400-mile network, and we are on average constructing between 10 to 15 new last-mile connections every single month as we continue to add customers to our network. Excellent. So now as a COO, what do you do within uh, one community? And then Liz can tell us what she does within one community. 
Well, within one community, we kind of separate ourselves into two groups, one being the network and, you know, the care and feeding of the network, adding customers, maintenance, all of the things that you would expect that you have to do on keeping a network operational. And then we have the program side, which is where we are working with community partners to provide different types of services, either across the network or education, healthcare, government, working with different entities to try to support how broadband can make those programs work better. And that's actually the team that, uh, that Liz is a part of. Yeah, my, my efforts are largely centered around building partnerships that um, leverage our infrastructure and um, then goal is to attract and retain jobs for our region. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start with the with the, uh, the the new grant program that you guys just announced. What is this all about? How can communities take advantage of it? Well, well I think I think the the main purpose that we were trying to get out is that you know we've been meeting with communities for years and and trying to get them to understand the need and power of fiber in their specific communities, and very often positioning it to them as you know, the fourth utility that they have to have and the amount of investment that they need to put into it. And, and very often, no different than with the NTIA uh, broadband stimulus grants, you really just need a spark to get people going. And so the idea was, how do we get folks that we've been talking to for years to, to be blunt, you know, to, uh, to, to get off their ass and, and do something? And so the idea was, let's put a grant out there that makes money available very similar to the way the NTIA broadband stimulus grant did with a, a match component, whereby you know we will um, focus on a 25% match for the dollars that people are going to spend in their specific communities, you know up to two million dollars, and and we envision that this will be a number of projects. We don't envision it's going to be one single large project. The hope is that we'll have multiple communities coming in, trying to figure out how they would like to get more fiber. You know, into their area. Most commonly, these are being pushed by the economic development groups within each of the different communities, counties, or, or just groups of people in a specific geographic area that are looking for ways to get fiber and broadband services into their area. Okay. So are you looking for communities to uh, have some money to put in, into the game on their end? Because there were, there were varying... Uh, I don't know, levels of match, pseudo-match requirements for uh, the programs that the broadband stimulus funded, and uh, there are, I guess, varying degrees of matches that are looked for in some of the FCC programs. What What's your expectation in terms of skin in the game from those who are uh, going to apply for this grant? It's a requirement. Um, they they will be putting the bulk of the money in. I mean, we're we're matching in essence at 25 cents on the dollar. So if somebody wants to put in a million dollars, then we would be matching at you know 250 thousand dollars. So they're going to have to be committed to it because what we've seen, and it's it, I don't think it's really any different than than the uh, the stimulus money either from the standpoint that if you don't have a committed group of bank or institutions that want to partner on doing you know a fiber project like this it's going to be very difficult to make it happen. Um, the other thing is, you know, we have to be able to educate people on how, how are they actually going to operate this network. So one of the things that we have coming up over the next couple of weeks are some workshops to have the communities who are interested, who have submitted a letter of intent saying, you know, yes, we want to participate. We have some ideas, but we need some help. Those folks will be coming and meeting with us so we can kind of walk them through. 
you know, is it a, do they want to own it? Can they own it? Can the city own it? Does it have to be uh, run by the economic development group? Do they want one community to partner with them on the management of these assets? And so I think we're going to see a number of different scenarios. And, and the interesting thing I think for us will be there'll be a number of different ideas, whether it's, you know, mainly community anchor institutions. There's going to be some folks that are, that are uh, predominantly focused on their largest employers and how do they make certain that those folks are staying within their community. We've got, you know, in a, another opportunity that we've been working with the city of Cleveland, they're specifically concerned about empty parcels of land and how do they attract people to those parcels. So I, I think each idea presented is going to be a little bit unique. And to, to Brett's point, I think what we've found is a lot of communities are somewhat intimidated by the complexity that comes along with planning and designing a network. So in addition to the actual you know, dollar investment through our grant, we're going to provide that technical assistance and that planning assistance, um, which could streamline that process. So is that in, in place of what would be, say, uh, a, consult a consulting firm coming in to do a needs assessment, or this is a, an adjunct to that type of activity? Because typically with a lot of other communities, there's a slew of RFPs now being released where people are asking for help with their needs assessment. So I'm just kind of curious as to as to whether you're going to, you know, be fulfilling that role or your role is in addition to them hiring, say, additional outside consulting assistants. I, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, there there are certain communities. So, for example, in in Hudson, Ohio, they have a which is a suburb of Cleveland. They have a RFP out right now for someone to do a needs assessment to talk about you know, where they should build fiber. Do they, should they be going after fiber to the home? Is it predominantly for businesses? Uh, what's the operating model for how they should run it going forward? So that's, that's one version. But I think it also depends on the specific city and, and how much budget they have. So if, you know, if you've got a million dollars and that's it, you know, you're not going to solve all of those problems. And I think some folks are saying, gosh, yeah, it'd be great to go spend fifty dollars or $100,000 on a needs assessment, but I'm not sure that that's the best use of their funds, and they may have a very specific ask. And so I think we're going to see a pretty broad you know, type of response from folks because the folks like Hudson are looking for a very detailed plan and approach, and there's others that are really just saying, hey, you know, I've got a handful of, of companies in my city, town, whatever, that I would like to make certain stay here, and how do I do that? So I, I think it's too early to tell exactly uh, the level of kind of consulting that we'll be providing. Um, I think it's really going to be dictated by how much support the individual city or county wants to put into the program. Okay. So Liz, is, is the idea that will um, is there an idea that economic development will be a consistent theme? of most of these projects that come to your desk, or will there be other, um, I don't know, primary goals that are driving these various community networks? Well, I think economic development is the primary focus area. Um, clearly, we like to keep the businesses we have in the community in the community and keep them happy. We also want to be able to attract the type of high-tech, high-wage industries that rely on fiber, but um, additionally to that, community development, um, educational opportunities, healthcare opportunities, those are also, um, you know, things that we're going to take into consideration and, and entities that I think could benefit. So, 
Okay, so it's it's definitely a key. Um, if I flip this over and talk about the technology side, is there an expectation that uh, these all of these projects, or at least the ones that will be considered uh, for the uh, big gig challenge, will be just fiber projects, or could someone come in with a uh, hybrid or even predominantly wireless network uh, that's still delivering high-speed uh, connectivity? N not for this grant. This grant specifically focused on fiber. I mean, I think as part of that needs assessment that you described, someone may envision the use of fiber to provide you know, internet to certain locations that might then be drains for access points for a Wi-Fi solution. But our investment is going to go towards fiber, specifically fiber infrastructure and, and how do we get that spread deeper into the communities. Right, okay. Uh, what is, I don't know if there's a philosophical, I know in certain places, you know, fiber or wireless or should it be hybrid, almost comes down to like being a religious con uh, discussion. Um, are, are you guys pretty much wedded to uh, fiber as the primary technology, or is every case open-ended at the you know at the last mile community level? I mean, uh, taking a, a, a you know aside from the discussion about the grant program, but just in general, uh, is there a heavy emphasis on on any particular type of technology? Well, I, I think because of the types of speeds that we're trying to be delivered into these communities, where you know 100 megabit to a gigabit is kind of the bare minimum that we're from our perspective, that kind of dictates that fiber is the, is the right answer, and that's our belief. Um, there obviously are wireless solutions that will help in these communities where they're going to want, you know, several have talked about Wi-Fi in their parks or Wi-Fi is around the school or, you know, in the, the city of Cleveland, we have Public Square, this huge area that's going to be completely redone over the next couple of years, and, you know, how do we get Wi-Fi throughout the entire city? And, and those are things that we would help with but I think for us, we want to stick to our knitting, which is fiber-based services, and, and try to keep that as, I guess, as simple and pure as possible as it goes through this grant process. But again, happy to try to figure out how to marry the fiber network with whatever wireless solution somebody might be considering if that helps you know, push broadband throughout their community. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you develop this whole grant program? Because if I look at the other entities around the U.S. that are building uh, or that have built uh, middle mile networks, uh, I don't see any of them doing this level of uh, support for, um, for communities. I mean, they may be doing some of the consulting side, because I haven't really talked about uh, organizations such as Kinber and Open Cape to kind of see if they're doing that level, but definitely putting money on the table to support broadband seems almost above and beyond the call of duty. I mean, are you guys unique in that respect? And 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 how? I mean, did you like go out and find some uh, donors to help supply that, or is this a and I don't know loan against future revenue? No, I mean, well, I think a couple of things. First off, a number of the people that you mentioned and a lot of the other BTOP recipients are very, very parochial in, in how they are positioning their network. And we, I think, almost to a religious uh, sense, think that you know, we're here to provide an open network available to everyone. 
whether that's you know nonprofits, for profits, wholesale customers, anyone that can benefit from fiber being in their community. So from our perspective, you know we look at this as an investment that will allow for us to continue to grow our network, you know, deeper and wider into these communities too. So it's it's not uh, 100% altruistic. You know, there is a benefit for us that we will be working with these folks to, you know, add customers and sell services and continue to, you know, benefit one community from it. You know, but we have capital dollars budgeted and available each year for construction. And our thought was if this was a way to have a multiplier effect on our money by also partnering with specific cities and, you know, to get them off the dime and look at actually doing something because there is an opportunity to get some, in essence, free money to help deploy broadband, then great. Let's see if we can get people motivated enough to put an idea together and go through the process with us. Okay. So it's it's kind of like you're looking at this investment in uh, the challenge as a basically as a financial investment in your future. You know, the more uh, you can make communities successful and get networks online, ultimately the better it is for your organization as a organization that has to make money from somewhere. Correct. I think okay. absolutely right. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a there's a uh, problem with that. I think it does, though, reflect a certain mindset that may not be um, prevalent in other <clears throat> organizations. I mean, I, I'm, this might be a little bit soapboxy, but, you know, when the various organizations were both applying for and then receiving and uh, using all of these stimulus dollars, it was not clear to me how well or how uh, aggressively folks were viewing their role uh, as a business, right? I mean, obviously, you're a nonprofit, so it's not like a Wall Street business. But nevertheless, there are some basic mechanics of, you know, business operation that sometimes to me just seem to be lacking. And that desire to, you know, generate new revenue streams or invest for the purpose of generating revenue streams did not seem like a philosophy that was kind of widespread, which does seem to be the case with uh, one community. I think that if, if I'm, you know, you can tell me if this is correct, but you do view yourself as a business that there are uh, some basic best practices of revenue generation and issues of marketing and investment and so forth of the t- traditional business world that needs to be applied in this world of, you know, getting broadband into places as a nonprofit. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's some, there's some general confusion in the marketplace when people say that you're a nonprofit, that that means that you can't make money, which is clearly not true. It's how do you use the money that you make. And so for us, we view the network as the engine that provides cash to fund programming. And so we absolutely have to have a sustainable network. And as you mentioned, to a lot of the, the broadband stimulus winners, you know, sustainability was a key question that the folks at NTIA have continued to work on. We were a network service provider before we got the grant and we'll be a network service provider after. Because we have been in that business for a while and it wasn't, you know, we didn't take stimulus money to build a private network for our own state use or our own you know, university campus connections or what have you that, you know, that were done in a lot of other uh, builds that took place. So for us, we absolutely have to have a network that is profitable 
And then it's what do we do with those funds? Well, one of the things we do is reinvest, just as we're talking about in this grant opportunity, which by having a network that is continually growing at you know 25% a year, um, there's also costs associated with maintaining that network and keeping sufficient capacity and the cable plant you know up to date and you know all the other things that you mentioned. So there's a significant capital cost of just keeping the beast running. And then the idea of how do we continue to get you know new locations added to the network and in partnering with these cities, counties, groups, et cetera, I think we're well positioned to to do that. Right. And 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 my my recommendation to others and other communities is to adapt if they don't have it already, this kind of attention to the financials of the organization but also just basic business concepts such as investment, uh, you know, as in you know, putting in money to look at the marketing return on, on what you get, to look at uh, you know, long-term financial sustainability uh, beyond the, I don't know, the usual suspects, you know, of, well, we'll get it from subscribers, kind of, sort of, or however you know, folks approach this. But... Um, it just seems that there needs to be a certain level of business discipline. I think that's the word I'm looking for is business discipline and that, and maybe it's because of your roots, but I, I would think that you see that as an advantage in your ability to be able to continue to provide service. Well, for sure. I, I mean, and I, and I think as we look at the applicants that we'll get for the Big Gate Challenge, you know, we're going to have to feel that those people possess that same mentality. It's not just go throw some money at building some fiber and then not have it be used or you know benefit the community in some significant way. And I think as we're kind of going through and grading and, and coming back with our recommendations as to who we want to invest in, a lot of it'll be as to you know how well thought out is the opportunity and have they thought through you know all of the different structural challenges that they'll have in, in operating a network. So mm-hmm. I, I, my hope is that we end up with you know three or four different uh, opportunities to to look at, and that each one of them will be different in in some way. So you know we'll continue to to grow and learn new things about how these you know public private partnerships can take place, um, as well as you know hopefully get local enterprise and business customers and community anchor insert in community anchor institutions engaged with their cities and counties as well, because if if they don't have pretty broad support in these communities, then you know these these efforts generally fail. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll see you know a number of people partnering with other folks in the area, and it won't just be you know government officials um, looking for investment as much as enterprise customers partnered with local uh, governments as well as you know schools and libraries and you know, all the usual suspects that we like to see in these opportunities. Right, and that actually um, brings to mind a. Uh, article, not an article, but a uh, radio show with NPR that I was interviewed for uh, a few weeks ago, and, and, the, and the focus of the article was on San Leandro and the fact that a local business person was a primary investor in moving their last mile network off the ground, that before there was no fiber in, in the area, and but they as a software company and a growing software company needed better um, they needed better connectivity or they're going to have to leave and it brings to mind to me then the the, the fact that 
or, or the question, have a lot of these communities not looked widely enough, you know, amongst their constituents for sources of funding these these networks? And either one of you might have some insight on this, but... I mean, I, I think that the challenge for a lot of people is somebody's always looking at someone else to be the leader for it and, and the big advocate. And mm-hmm. you have to have a specific champion for sure. Um, I think the difficulty that we've seen, you know, in a, there's a county in Northeast Ohio that we've been working with for, for almost three years. And the difficulty has been, you know, A, you have to have the political will to make something happen. And that, that's, not, that's not often, uh, you know, the case. Because, you know, when you start talking to somebody about investing in fiber infrastructure, when, you know, their mentality is, you know, roads and bridges and, you know, new street lights and public safety and things like that, which obviously fiber can play a big role in, but it's competing for dollars that they have for everything else. And so if you don't have, you know, the economic development groups and the business customers involved in, in those conversations, then I think you're missing out on, you know, getting a deeper understanding in the community as to why you need fiber. I mean, we can have meetings with county commissioners, you know, every week, but until an employee, you know, a large employer says, I have to have fiber or I'm going to leave or something like that, uh, to, you know, the example you gave in San Leandro, it's difficult to get people to get moving. And so I, I think for us, that's, that's been one of the, the biggest challenges that we've faced. Is the economic development side of it the thing that, that wields the biggest amount of political clout? In other words, <clears throat> if, if you're looking at uh, a group of politicians at the local level and you're trying to get them off the dime to move forward with, with uh, broadband, is the economic development stick the biggest one that, need, that, that seems to get results, or is there something else that eventually moves them to... You know, say yes. We're going to we're going to invest some amount of city resources in to help make this ha- help making helping to make this happen. I think that it's it's the concept that is the most easy for um, public officials to understand. Um, they you know cities they live and die by jobs and the companies and organizations that they can attract and retain. So being able to educate public officials on the benefits that fiber um, has for job creation, business attraction, et cetera, is something that tends to resonate best with them as opposed to some of the other um, benefits. Mm -hmm. So from an economic mm, development perspective, do you think there is greater weight given to um, using the network to make existing companies stronger or using the network to uh, pull in new business because many economic development teams or agencies or departments tend to be just like literally one or two people. So they're, they're, they're always struggling for a priority. And I'm curious as to which of those two endpoints on the economic development spectrum do, do communities tend to fall on, in favor of? I mean, I think it, it depends on the community, you know, the size and scope of the community, but at its core, in economic development, you want to keep your existing institutions happy, and it's usually a really good starting point. Um, and then any business attraction that you can build off of is, you know, a bonus. Okay. How much um, 
interesting, in- interesting situation. Is there much discussion in the uh, in the area of economic development for uh, creating entrepreneurs or making individuals more, you know, expanding an individual's ability to get better jobs? Does that get talked about much, or is that less yeah? It does. I mean, actually, uh, in the city of Cleveland right now, um, they are looking at uh, partnering with a local foundation to set up a co-working space in an in a area called the Health Tech Corridor in Cleveland. And, and the idea is that by having, you know, A, a site that's connected to you know, hyperfast broadband and being in an area where they're trying to attract, you know, new entrepreneurs and, and people who are wanting to either start businesses or or have some opportunity to work within the health tech quarter so they have a chance to be in the same building with other people that are focused on healthcare-related applications or improvements, et cetera. Um, they view co-working and, and you know, sponsoring entrepreneurs and, and, and investing in those folks as a key way to help drive economic development. But when you're in economic development, you're really talking about big job numbers. And, and while, yes, you want to see those new businesses start, that's great. Um, you know, but a lot of these folks that are starting businesses are going to be, you know, a year or two down the road before they even hire their first employee or two. So while, yes, they want to support that and believe that that's part of their mission, um, at the end of the day, you know, when we're working with them on a specific task, it's, you know, where's the 50 jobs, where's the 100 jobs, you know, where are those big chunks that really, you know, are game changers for those specific communities. And a lot of people, I believe, now understand that fiber is one of those things that is going to keep them off the, you know, the, the potential site list. You know, there's a lot of folks now when you're looking at, at people that are doing site development work for companies that are looking at relocating or expanding, and if there is an existing fiber infrastructure in that location, they just move on. And so I think that's happened enough more recently to where these different communities are saying, okay, I'm, I'm tired of being left out of the conversation because I don't have the infrastructure required to attract that, that business. So Northeast Ohio is usually a place when when you mention it that folks think manufacturing. And so is 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 broadband being seen as a way to uh enhance the survivability of manufacturing heavier light or is it being looked at as a way to replace the uh the, the manufacturing that has been the you know, heart and soul, if you will, of the of the Midwest and and all that. Yeah, I, I think that if you were to talk to people in Northeast Ohio and ask what the the biggest sector is, it's healthcare. Um, you know, we have some of the best and brightest institutions in the country. You know, between Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, Metro Health, Catholic Health Partners. I mean, on and on. Very uh, Akron Children's, very large, multi-billion-dollar. Uh, nonprofit healthcare institutions that are some of the largest employers in the in the region as well. So healthcare is driving the use of broadband more than anyone else. I mean, if, if we were to look at the percentage of our network that is used by healthcare folks, it's almost 50%. Mm-hmm. So that you know that's connecting. You know now you, you every doctor's office you know is is looking for you know 50 meg 100 meg not you know DSL speeds that they used to be able to live by and you know now that they're looking at images and electronic medical records and all the different things that are driving healthcare are pushing for the for the uh, need if you will for fiber 
Um, but I think manufacturing has made a resurgence um, in Northeast Ohio. I mean, it's definitely growing. Um, you know, there are specific sectors within manufacturing that do a lot with, you know, large CAD drawings and different things that are going to require broadband. But that hasn't that hasn't been the big push for us. Um, I think the other thing in Northeast Ohio specifically is the amount of higher education that we have, and we have a ton of universities, large universities in our area that are helping drive uh, the use of broadband. I mean, you know, Case Western Reserve University is one of our largest customers, and you know, we're in partnerships with them talking about how we're going to deploy you know, 100 gigabit uh, into Case and, and the new medical school that they're going to be in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic on. And so there, there's a, a lot of synergies in Northeast Ohio between healthcare and higher education. Uh, which is great for us and is attracting a lot of people to the region. Um, but in, in, in general, I think, you know, the city of Cleveland specifically, and I think it's it's expanding out across the area, is in a, a really unique spot. I mean, I think people in Cleveland have been telling folks how great it is here for so long. People are, are finally starting to believe it. And, you know, whether it's LeBron coming back or the, the Republican National Convention coming here, uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Cleveland, which I think is motivating people to think about how they can, you know, invest in their community and make certain that they're, you know, as well positioned as Cleveland and some of the other communities are right now. So I, I think there's a, it's a really unique time for us and hope that we're going to get some, you know, really inspired thinking around how they can deploy, you know, fiber in their areas to, you know, improve their situation. Mm-hmm. Well, another economic development question I have then is, um, Earlier this year, I interviewed, or not interviewed, I, I surveyed economic development professionals uh, around the U.S., the uh, um, IEDC, and one of the questions that I asked had to do with, um, is healthcare being seen as an economic development factor? In other words, is it contributing to uh, communities trying to improve their uh, the local economy by improving or enhancing their the healthcare delivery that goes on in their community. Have you seen in uh, Ohio? You know, you mentioned that having all of this uh, uh, emphasis on uh, broadband use by those in the healthcare communities. Is there a correlation between that and the economic health of Northeast Ohio? I, I think for sure. I mean, when you look at you know, two of the largest systems, um, Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, both of them have teams of people that are just focusing on innovation. And Cleveland Clinic has probably done better than most health systems in the country at having people spin out of the clinic and start their own businesses. And, you know, for example, there's a, a local business in Cleveland called Explorus that focuses on big data analytics. And, you know, they started within Cleveland Clinic, who has massive amounts of data. And they were internally working on different ways to use that data and started to think, gosh, this is probably something that we can replicate for other health systems and groups. And so they spun out. And so we continue to see that that happen, um, whether it's, you know, somebody that's coming up with a medical device or big data or, uh, you know, something around a, a system or an application that they think, you know, might benefit other health systems. So I think they do a good job of supporting you know, entrepreneurial slash economic development. But when you're also, the, you know, the biggest employers in the region, you're, you clearly are driving economic development. And, you know, when you talk to those folks, they look at, 
uh, especially because of what happened with the Affordable Care Act, they're looking at, you know, taking millions of new patients. And so the amount of, whether it's uh, construction, you know, on, you know, new healthcare facilities and clinics, I mean, it's been a boon for construction in Northeast Ohio for the last several years, and it doesn't seem to be to slow, you know, isn't slowing yet. Um, and then, obviously, there's a lot of uh, combinations of smaller health systems being acquired by larger ones, and and then, and then that is fostering uh, investment into some of those, you know, healthcare sites that, you know, they may have not had the money to do on their own. And that's also bringing in additional specialties, docs, et cetera, into those sites, too. So I, I think they clearly are driving economic development in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz, have you seen communities... It may be too early in the ball game to to uh, to tell, but are they developing any kind of uh, metrics to measure their economic impacts of broadband? Because one of the the criticisms over the, the the last few years has been that you know on one hand you have people advocating broadband as an economic development tool. And I think everybody on on this you know in in this, in this interview and probably listening will agree with that. However, there haven't been a lot of uh, empirical data that has made the case. It's been more of a gut feel or anecdotal evidence and so forth. But I'm just wondering if you're seeing uh, communities either having done research. Uh, to figure out the impact, or are they putting benchmarks in place so that in a year or two they actually will be able to measure and point to very specific uh, economic outcomes that are the direct result of broadband? I mean, I haven't seen any communities that have already done so, but I've spoken to a lot of communities that are interested in in being able to have those factors um, documented. So I think that this opportunity kind of allows the communities that do end up moving forward with a build to be able to start that process and, and gauge the actual impact. Um, as Brett mentioned, we're seeing a lot of healthcare organizations here, you know, locally that are expanding and growing and utilizing our network. So I think they're the ones that we're looking to initially to gather that data and be able to provide it to us and have it so that we could start building that um, case. Hmm, okay. Well, I mean, I think that that would be very, um, a very helpful um, outcome of, of a lot of this work because uh, one of the things, you know, I've had some folks on, on the show over the, you know, over the last couple of years, and uh, when you start to talk about uh, measures of success, I think everybody agrees that there needs to be more but sometimes folks will say, well, yes, that, that would be great, but we don't have time. You know, it's like we're all, it's all hands on deck trying to move this, you know, stuff off the dime. And I don't know, maybe there's a way in the planning process and that that's where folks need to plan in certain activities or create, I don't know, certain software measurement tools or, or some sort of measurement tools but, but doing it in the planning process might be where folks can create a process of being able to then later uh, quantify in some way their economic development process, uh, progress. So now, in terms of um, the education factor, 
where does that play on the scale of um, economic impact? And, and there's an assumption, I think, that uh, you, if you're building these networks with the intent of impacting the local economy, and if you follow the philosophy that uh, improving education has an impact on economic development, is it that you use the technology to help uh, more kids get into college, or you use it to get more folks matched with jobs as they come out of college? Where exactly is the intersect between broadband economic development and, and education? Well, Craig, we obviously think that fiber solves all of the world's problems. Oh, um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not so sure that we could make the leap on everything you just described. I mean, we've had you know, a number of conversations about uh, the amount of bandwidth that needs to be in schools, and whether you're talking about K through 12 or K through 20. Um, you know, we've been working on projects both at the FCC on E-Rate 2.0 as well as with the state at looking at how many different schools throughout the state of Ohio are being serviced with less than 100 megabits based upon a certain size and for very, you know, larger schools that, that each of those schools are connected at a gigabit speed. And I don't know that you could look at that and say specifically it's going to drive economic development as much as because of the competitive nature for students and because we live in a global economy, if we don't figure out a way to improve the infrastructure to these schools, then I think kids are going to suffer. I think this is a, a, a spot where you know, your question about wireless, though, plays a, a really large role. Because we can take fiber you know, to schools till the cows come home, and if they don't have good Wi-Fi infrastructure within the school, it doesn't really matter. And so when you look at whether it's E-Rate 2.0 or specific states and what they're doing, you know, one of the things that the state of Ohio has been looking at is you know, how could we take money that we might be investing in you know, fiber infrastructure and hopefully put that through E-Rate and take some of that money instead and invest in you know, new Wi-Fi networks within uh, these schools. Because you know, right now, most of these schools are using Wi-Fi technology that could be anywhere from five to 10 years old which, as you know, is, is ancient uh, compared to what's available today. So I, I think that it's a stretch for us to say that the education is going to drive economic development. I think that people believe that if they don't make education a priority in their specific city or county, that they're going to struggle to keep and attract people, um, no different than you know, having fiber and good utilities and everything else that they need. If they don't have a healthy education system, they're going to struggle. Mm -hmm. So now what uh, – I'm going to shift gears here for a second. Um, so with the, with the grant program, what's the, the, the timeline? I mean, number one, when, when are deadlines? Uh, maybe we kind of summarize what are the, the key things that need to be part of an application pro, uh, package, or do you have a clearly defined package that everybody has to con conform to? How do we so we, we, it's going to be kind of a, a two-part process. Um, we are requesting letters of interest, and the deadline for those is October 3rd. Um, and those are, you know, that's just a broader kind of think big and give us a proposal. There's, it's, there's limited requirements for that. And then we will be um, scoring those and selecting five finalists. And those finalists are the ones that we're going to kind of take a deep dive with 
um, invite them to some workshops, and help them build a really robust proposal. Um, and those proposals are due in December. So we're expecting to make um, grant announcements probably mid-December-ish. Okay. So, so queue up the apps, think big, act big, um, get them all done by the 3rd, and then you'll do a first pass at uh, culling the herd and then look at more details, gather more details, then for a final selection of grants awardees. Correct. Okay. And the grant award, and this would be looked at as sometime for, did you say the summer? No, December. Oh. We're hoping to, December. to oh, select, sorry, sorry. select folks this oh. December. Got it, got it, got it. All right. So then basically in, then in, in, the, in, in January, we'd actually would see the fruits of all this whole process, and people then would be on their merry little way. That's the goal. Okay. So, um, and that seems fairly straightforward enough. I assume that the more uh, local support that a community can show for their project, that gives them a few uh, extra brownie points in the process, right? Yeah, and I think that the real question, though, is the, the, when people are submitting an application, where are the funds going to come from? How are they going to actually support the effort? Because it doesn't really do us a lot of good to have people just say, well, gee, we think we're going to raise X. I mean, they're going to have to have committed dollars from you know, some, some path, whether that's outside money that they plan to raise from you know, local foundations or enterprise customers, or they're actually going to look at taking on debt, selling bonds. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a lot of different scenarios that we'll see depending on the size of the project. And I think that goes back to just the partnerships that we keep discussing. I think communities that can be creative and get a lot of people on board, whether it's private, um, for-profit businesses, anchor institutions, local government, nonprofits, you know, the more resources they can pull together, the more robust of an application they can put together, and the more financial resources they can put forward to build. So that's what we're really encouraging. Okay. So, so have a clear path to... Um, funds, funding, and financial sustainability would be the probably the primary watchword I'm taking away from here. I think I think that's right. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I think that uh, you know, in retrospect, there are probably a number of uh, broadband stimulus programs that should have had a, a higher attention to this kind of detail. But I I, I regress a little bit. Um, what? Big things do you see um, one community coming up with next? I mean, this is obviously a pretty big deal. It's significant. It's definitely, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say it's, it's not what's being done by other uh, middle mile builders, and, you know, and it's, it's all a plus, you know, but do you have a couple of other things that, that you can talk about now that might be in the pipeline that are also you know, examples of one community thinking outside of the box, thinking big? Um, there's a couple things. I mean, we're, we're focused on what we call our horizon, so horizon one, two, and three. And horizon one is kind of the here and now, what are the things that we're working on? And, and so that's things like this, the big, big challenge. You know, in uh, horizon two and three, we're starting to spend a lot of time thinking about big data as well as the Internet of Things. And, you know, how can we as a network service provider, make our assets available 
uh, in partnership in product creation, innovation, et cetera, as it relates to those two topics. Um, you know, big data because of the healthcare focus of our customers seems to be a logical uh, step for us to start, you know, putting our, uh, our feet in the pool on. And then on the Internet of Things, while I think this is something that's going to take years to develop, um, we want to be at the front of that. And there's a lot of interest from uh, partners of ours in the community, whether that's, you know, the, the RTA, the Rapid Transit Authority, to the city, to, you know, universities, uh, some of our, again, back to healthcare and devices and different things that, you know, could be tracked and monitored and, and uh, sensors, et cetera. So I, I think those will be the two areas where in, in 2015 we'll be making some announcements around uh, our efforts there. Hmm. Okay. Um, the Internet of Things, is that going to be a big deal? I mean, I hear, you know, I'm, I'm having been in the industry for like forever, it seems, you know, often hear lots of phrases about this technology or that trend or whatever. And I often wonder, well, what of these, which of these things are going to actually survive? Um, is the Internet of Things, you know, is that a real trend in, from your perspective? And, and if so, what, how would you even define it? And should broadband community folks be really focused on this? Um, well, I definitely think it's real. I mean, I, I think you're talking about, you know, billions of devices and billions of dollars that are going to be created from it. And I think that, A, for us, having a network and then having a push into cloud services where you know, our ability to connect with a number of different cloud providers brings the, the cost and the barriers to entry down so much as it relates to big data applications and storing information, you know, sensor-type data on the Internet of Things side, that it, 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 it's making it easier for us to get into those types of businesses and er, those types, those lines of business and to innovate around them because before, you know, to, to spin up the amount of, of servers for storage and different things that we would need on those two specific um, ideas would have been, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and now with, you know, price reductions between, you know, uh, Amazon Web Services and Google and Microsoft dropping, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent a year over the last couple of years, I think the barriers to entry are so, so far um, reduced that, you know, we have some opportunities to do some neat stuff that I think even 12 months ago we didn't think would be possible. We just wouldn't be able to afford to do it. Mm. So we should definitely be keeping an eye on it and, and actively planning for it, it sounds like, in terms of, uh, you know, again, I'm looking at the slew of RFPs that come rolling out and, you know, you see these things and they're asking the consultants to come in to address you know, we want broadband for, and it's usually, you know, the usual suspect. We want it for economic development, and we want it for education and, and health care, which is all good. I mean, they're all valid. But you don't see yet, I think, a lot of folks asking about, you know, well, respond to the, you know, broadband and the Internet of Things or broadband and cloud computing. And the reason I bring this up is I think that um, if, you are, if you are omitting those things from consideration in your needs assessment, then might you end up missing or, or not necessarily building your network or your network plans to be able to capture those opportunities or address those needs? I, I, think, that, I, I think that we, the people on this call, could have a conversation about the Internet of Things and not feel overwhelmed. 
the idea of having that conversation with a city planner um, is probably not a good idea. I don't think, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, we're just trying to get people to get interested in it, and, and I think economic development is absolutely the way to do that. But I think what we've seen, um, you know, once somebody gets a hold of fiber and understands the power of it, then that frees their mind a little bit to come up with, you know, more innovative things to do. So for right now, I don't think that we would uh, go down that path as far as trying to overcomplicate the process that we're in right now. I mean, for us, because we've been in this business for a long time, those are just things that I think we have a responsibility to look into and we will continue to try to develop and partner with uh, folks on. But the, you know, the big challenge is, is really about trying to get people to come up with an idea that will you know, have some form of an immediate impact on their community that we can partner with them on and hopefully drive you know, whatever their key um, you know, decisions are for their community, whether that's economic development, education, healthcare, wh whatever that might be. Uh, it's really just to get people thinking about the fact that they need to be investing in fiber infrastructure you know, for their future. Mm -hmm. I have another, we, we only have about seven minutes, but I have another economic development question, and I think it's one that doesn't get discussed uh, enough also, which is what about programs to actually enable businesses to make uh, or to take advantage of the, the technology. And uh, the reason I bring this up is because, you know, you can wire businesses, you can wire communities, but if I look at Seattle, for example, you know, they wired a, 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 an area of business where there were a lot of merchants, you know, traditional retail folks and so forth, and they were very happy with themselves for having wired them up with all this great fast technology but what they discovered to their dismay later was that these businesses didn't know enough about the Internet, didn't know enough about new media to really be able to take advantage of the access to then take advantage of the Internet. And so the city discovered that by, by not addressing that particular issue, they kind of went halfway. They, they gave them the connection, but they didn't give them a process for maximizing it. Is there any emphasis being put on that? As, as you guys, you know, address economic development with your various communities, are there programs being encouraged, uh, talked about, whatever, that will enable people to actually leverage this high speed that you're bringing them? Yeah, one of the things that we talked about uh, earlier was the co-working space idea in the city of Cleveland. And part of that dialogue was around the fact that there has to be some education that goes along with that. And there, there's plenty of, you know, smart techie people that are going to think a co-working space is cool. And if it has, you know, fast broadband, it's kind of like crack. I mean, once people know it's there, they're, they're going to come, you know, to the co-working space and use it and want more and more and more. Um, but the, the dilemma that you have is when you've got folks that don't have a web presence and don't know the first thing about setting up, you know, a website or, or even how to do, you know, point-of-sale transactions uh, via the Internet um, you know, if somebody's not there to help teach and coach those people to do those types of things, then you're not really helping the specific surrounding community in that area. You're just bringing people in from outside to use your co-working space and, and blazing fast Internet. So I think anyone who does not consider education part of their overall plan, um, and whether it's called education or almost, you know, you need to have a, an evangelist for what's going on, uh, in your specific, you know, city, area, county that, you know, you're working in, or you're going to have a difficult time getting people to understand, you know, 
how to use it other than the usual suspects that we've already talked about being, you know, healthcare, government, education, and, you know, decent-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Is there encouragement of broadband adoption tactics such as what you've described when you're working with communities, or is that someone else's responsibility? I think it depends city by city. I mean, we've had, you know, certain uh, areas that we've talked to that were partnered with universities who were very interested in doing, you know, digital literacy training and and trying to get, um, you know, students at the college level to work with local folks on getting people proficient with the Internet and and that type of thing. Um, But I think it also just depends on what what are the issues that that city, county, whatever is fighting. Uh, And a lot of them are fighting more about, you know, how do I create jobs and how do I keep people where they are. And, you know, training sounds nice, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're still just so focused on jobs, they want to understand how this has a direct correlation. And, and that, you know, as, as we've said, I mean, that, that's still a bit of a leap. I mean, I think people intrinsically believe that they have to have fiber just to, you know, to make the, uh, the bid list for some of these uh, new sites that are going to be developed, but they have to almost have experienced that themselves and lost out on a deal or two before they go, oh, okay, I get it now. If we don't have it, we're not going to get to play. Um, so, you know, I think we'd love to come back and talk to you in December after we have, you know, the application process finished and mm-hmm. let you know what types of things, you know, people have come up with. Um, and, you know, maybe that'll be, you know, helpful or useful to other people. Okay. So in our last couple of minutes remaining, um, is there, I don't know, one key piece of information aside from going to your website and, you know, reading your FAQs and what have you, but is there one piece of information for other, uh, call it middle mile organizations that are now trying to get all these people connected to their their middle mile infrastructure, is there some advice for how to, to go about that or to create some sort of program that can get communities and, you know, move, to move forward? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, we spend a ton of time, you know, out in the streets meeting with people, you know, on a regular basis, and, and I think for us, it kind of permeates the whole organization. I mean, there's probably no less than 10 people within, you know, our small shop that are out meeting with these folks talking about, you know, how fiber needs to be part of their, you know, their plans for the future. So, you know, I, I think being your own advocate is key. Um, I'm not really sure what, what else, you know, what other drivers they need other than, you know, this is a very capital-intensive business, and if, if people aren't thinking about how they're going to grow their network for the next three to five years, then I, I think they're going to be, you know, putting themselves in, in harm's way because if, if they're not focused on long-term approaches to how they're going to add, you know, customers like we are through, through this big gig challenge, I think they're going to struggle to, you know, grow the revenue and their organization the way that they probably wish they, they had if they had planned better. Right. Okay. Well, we will definitely uh, keep tabs and uh, and see how this thing unfolds, uh, and we definitely want to see what the end product is. So I will, uh, you know, call me if I don't call you, but I will probably be, you know, putting you on my tick list of folks to talk to in early January to see how the progress is going. I, I want to thank both of you, Brett and Liz, for uh, for participating today in this interview and giving us the information on your, um, on, your, on your big gig challenge, and best of luck to you with that. Thanks, Greg. Thanks a lot. 
All righty, and thank you to our audience for listening in. Thursday, we'll be back. We're going to be talking to folks in North Carolina about the value of marketing and broadband. So we will talk to you again on Thursday. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Craig.